This little girl was born in Brooklyn in 1928. Her name was Marianne Bird. And I want to share just a little bit of her story with you. She writes herself as, a, as an adult looking back on her childhood these words. I grew up knowing I was different and I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate and when I started to go to school, my classmates who were constantly teasing made it clear to me how I must look to others. A little girl with a misshapen lip, crooked nose, lopsided teeth, and a hollow and somewhat garbled speech. I couldn't even blow up a balloon without holding my nose. And when I bent to drink from the fountain, the water spilled out of my nose. When schoolmates asked me, what happened to your lip? I tell them I'd fallen as a, babe, at a, as a baby and I'd cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been born different. By the age of seven, I was convinced that no one outside my own family could ever love me or even like me. And then I entered the second grade and Mrs. Leonard's class. I never knew what her first name was, just Mrs. Leonard. She was round and pretty and fragrant with chubby arms and shining brown hair and warm dark eyes that smiled even on the rare occasions when her mouth did not. Everyone adored her, but no one came to love her more than I did, and for a special reason. The time came around for an annual hearing test given at our school. I was barely able to hear anything out of one ear and was not about to reveal yet another problem that would single me out as different, and so I cheated on the test. I had learned to watch the other children and raise my hand what when they did during the group testing. The whisper test, however, required a different kind of deception. Each child would go to the door of the classroom, turn sideways, close one ear with a finger, and the teacher would whisper something from her desk, which the child would then repeat. Then the same thing was done for the other ear. I had discovered in kindergarten that nobody checked to see how tightly the untested ear was being covered, so I merely pretended to block mine. As usual, I was last. But all through the testing, I wondered what Mrs. Leonard might say to me. I knew from previous years that the teacher whispered things like, the sky is blue, do you have new shoes? My turn came. I turned my bad ear to her, plugging up the other solidly with my finger, then gently backed out my finger enough to be able to hear. I waited and then came the words that God had surely put in her mouth. Seven words that changed my life forever. Mrs. Leonard, the pretty fragrant teacher I adored, said softly, I wish you were my little girl. Seven words can change a life. Ponder that. Seven words could change your life. And with seven words, you could change someone else's life, like Marianne Bird. The life of a friend, the life of a child, the life of a spouse, the life of a neighbor, the life of a coworker. Words have that power. One study says the average American speaks 700 times a day. What if we cut that in half, 350, cut it in half again? That's still 175 times a day. Add it all up and we speak roughly seven to 10,000 words every day. And that doesn't count the words that we write, type, or text. The average teen texts 100 times a day, and that's when they're with each other. Just kidding. Um, about 3,200 times a month. 
How many words do we take in every day? It is said that we read or hear roughly 100,000 words a day. But words matter. And seven words can change a life. Words can make that kind of difference. There's power in words. Proverbs says in one place, the power of life is in the tongue. What if we were more intentional about the words we say and read and text? What if we were more focused? What if we weighed our words more carefully? Today we come to an amazing library of wise sayings called Proverbs. Now we've made our way through Proverbs uh, chapter 1 through 9, and now we come to the actual Proverbs uh, from chapter 10 all the way to the end of 31. And these, by the way, those verse uh, uh, chapters were added later. So the, this is, these are just a collection of, of hundreds and hundreds of wise sayings, short little quips, wisecracks, little statements that stick in your mind. And there are hundreds of them. We're going to take them a chapter at a time. We're going to look at chapter 10 today. And by the way, um, sometimes we read the book of Proverbs and we just look at it and say, this is, these are so random. Why is Proverbs so random? Why does it um, just jump from, starting at chapter 10, jump from one topic to another topic? It doesn't seem to really flow. And I thought, I've thought about that a long time, actually. And um, I think uh, over the last two or three years, I've been going through Proverbs for myself personally. And I think I had a little bit of a theological or biblical or exegetical, as the pastors call it, epiphany while studying through it on my own the last couple of years in, in just my own t t personal times. I kept reading and wondering and praying and asking, why is Proverbs 10 and after so random? And as I studied and restudied it, it finally dawned on me that I think it is very intentionally random. It's not an accident, but the order is intentionally random and sometimes repetitive. If you've ever read Proverbs, you'll get that. And I encourage you to start reading this week, chapter 10, if you haven't already. The truth is, if Solomon, who is the wisest guy in the world, he's a smart guy. He certainly could have figured out how to arrange them topically or in a more orderly fashion if he so desired. But he didn't desire to do so. And he wanted them to be random. And the Spirit of God led him to write them in this random fashion. He was led by the Holy Spirit. But then I've asked, why? Why are they so random? And then I had my epiphany. It's about how he structured his instruction and wisdom. Proverbs 1 through 9 is more of an organized instruction. Those first nine chapters we've gone through. But then Proverbs 10 to 31 is much more random and disorganized. And I say, why, why, why? And then it dawned on me what I think the reason is, and the reason is it's written as a father and a mother, is included as well, a father to a son. And it can be taken as a mentor to a mentee or a mentor to a disciple. But especially in parenting relationships, sometimes you sit down and have talks with your kids. That's Proverbs 1 through 9. But most of the time, you are just dripping in wisdom throughout the course of the day, throughout the week, throughout the month. It's not an orderly instruction. It's delivered to you, uh, to the child, uh, son or daughter, on a somewhat random basis. And that's Proverbs 10 to 31. These random nuggets of wisdom not only are delivered that way, but they are also remembered that way. 
we, we recall it at odd moments of our day or week or month. You know, it's like my dad always used to say, or like my mom always used to say, and then we drop the wisdom proverb they told us, their own wisdom proverb. Or like my pastor or my teacher or my coach or my leader always says, and then we give it out. And it's never a big, long quote. It's just a memorable line we remember, and it sticks in our, our minds and in our hearts. And so Proverbs is structured in that fashion. First, the organized teaching, and then the dad always says, or mom used to say, random section. It's random because, guys, life is random. As I'm raising kids in the morning, I say one thing. On the way to school, I say another thing. They recall something I've said during the day. They come home and hang out with friends and remember something else I said. Then I share something at dinner time. Then later in the week, something comes up about finances or hard work or integrity or whatever it might be. Most of life is lived this way. It's not lived in a classroom or an organized instruction. It's lived in real life situations. That is why Proverbs is so transformative. Because every time we read through it, a different verse pops out to us or jumps out to us because we're in a different situation in life that day or that week or that month. <clears throat> and Solomon did not stumble onto this accidentally. Because he was wise, he knew life would happen this way. So he had organized his, his organized teaching in 1 through 9, but mostly he had quips and quotes and wisecracks and memorable sage sayings that would be dripped in to life. Proverbs is random because life is random, guys. And most of us need to learn on a need-to-know basis. Stuff we've ignored for years suddenly pops in our minds or in a chapter in Proverbs, and the sun comes out, and we finally understand something that's puzzled us for years. And this is life, and this is Proverbs. So today we come to Proverbs chapter 10. And I encourage you to read through the whole chapter on your own. Something's going to pop out to you. Here's what popped out to me, a few verses in chapter 10 on weighing your words. These are about the words you speak, you text, you post, you write, that you give out. And also the words that you read and listen to and ponder over that you take in. Verse 11 says, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Now we get a contrast between what? Are your words life-giving or are they destructive? This is what we're saying here. In this world, there are those who are righteous in the sight of God, not through our own self-righteousness, but through Jesus Christ, who is our righteousness through faith in him. And we are called, the righteous, to be a fountain of life to everyone around us. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. That's what you, who you are. This is your calling. This is my calling, a high privilege. And Jesus picked up on this very language. In John's Gospel, it says, on the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And the one who believes in me, start with me, believe in me, trust in me, start there. As the scripture has said, we'll have streams, rivers of living water flow from deep within him. He said this about the Spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. It's a relationship with God that we now have that we draw upon to sustain us, to replenish us when we're dry, to refresh us when we're weary, to cleanse us when we're poisoned, 
to satisfy us when we are thirsty people. And when we need wisdom, the Holy Spirit is that life-giving fountain to us, for us. The world is a desert. But Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, is a fountain of living water for us. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, when you come to faith in Jesus, you live now in a place like that. But the Holy Spirit does not only bring that thirst-quenching water to us and satisfaction to us. He actually makes us to be fountains of life to other people. That's what Solomon is saying here. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. We are called to be blessed, a channel of blessing with our words, what we say and post and text and write. And church, why do we make such a big deal out of loving our neighbors and our family and friends and church and one another in the neighborhood and the work and in the community? Why do we make such a big deal out of love you, Des Moines? Because this is what God has redeemed us to be. The righteous, it says, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. That's what we're called to be. That's who we are. You and I are to be sending out streams of living water to everyone around us. Your words can be that to people. The opposite of that, of course, is the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. There are other people in this world, wicked, evil doers. They do not fear the Lord. They do not know the Lord. They've gone their own direction. They say, we're not going to do that, which, by the way, is where all of us start. <laughs> and we have to be transformed by Jesus. But prior to that transformation, especially those who embrace this, they may, the, the biblical text calls them wicked here, they may be attractive, popular, and, are artic and articulate, but their words are not a fountain of life. Hiding beyond often their impressive great words and slogans and mottos is actually a hint of death, of hate perhaps, opposition, even devastation, destruction, and death. It does not lead to life. Anything that goes opposite of Jesus does not lead to life. When Jesus shows up, there's life. You go away from Jesus, and that's death and destruction. And they lead people astray. So we are called to be bringers of life, not bringers of death. And I want you to say right now, weigh your words. When you think of yourself in your own life, this is time to just look within. How, do, how are my words doing in this life-bringing, life-giving influence on the people around me? Or am I just like everybody else and just spewing forth whatever is going on, not really bringing life, but if it goes too far, even destruction? Weigh your words. He goes on, verse 12, hatred stirs up conflicts, but love covers all offenses. This is the contrast between being troublemaking in our words or peacemaking. Hatred stirs up conflicts. I'm not talking here about legitimate discussion on difficult issues or confronting falsehood or injustice or error when it needs to be done. Absolutely, and Proverbs has got a lot to say about that too. Remember, you have to take all of Proverbs together. These are general principles, and you have to learn them all, okay? But here we go. But he is talking about just speech and words and behavior that is angry, that is destructive, that is mean-spirited, it just stirs the pot, just gets people into more arguments with each other, more polarized, more oppositional. Guys, are we living in this world? I think so. 
And it's really been noticeable. Some of you say, well, that's true, but I don't do that. I don't say stuff. I don't post stuff. But let me ask all of us and myself this. Am I a garbage collector? You know, do I just take in stuff that's just garbage? Do you ever find that you're the kind of person, and I'm not accusing, just asking, where disgruntled people are constantly coming to you with all their hurt feelings and gripes? Why would that be? Because, I mean, there might be a compassionate side to that, but if we're not careful, we can be garbage collectors where we sympathize, we're a shoulder to cry on, but then become a rallying point for troublemaking. We become the complaint department. And in that situation, listening to the words can be an even bigger problem because we validate that sort of troublemaking, and that's not good. So hatred stirs up conflicts, but love covers all offenses. Doesn't mean it excuses or condones evil, not at all. But it means love is, a, is the oil of relationships. It smooths over the rough patches. It, it, it brings a hope to troubled situations. The Apostle Peter, who knew something about putting his foot in his mouth, learned his lesson well. He picks up on these words of Solomon, and he says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. He's, he's basically paraphrasing Proverbs 10. See, love is that oil of relationships where we don't have to fight all the time, where we can be peacemaking instead of troublemaking, where love brings people together, where we love searches for solutions, not for attacks. Love tries to build bridges of reconciliation. Love resists taking sides. Read 1 Corinthians 13 about love. Love is charitable and magnanimous, and it gives people the benefit of the doubt. Here at Valley Church, two of our core values are we help, of our four core values is, two of them are we help relationships thrive. Relationships thrive because of love. Relationships cannot thrive outside of love. And it, we also, are, are, uh, one of our other core values is we pursue boundless generosity. Oftentimes when people hear that, they think we're talking about money and certainly includes our resources. But first, it really begins in the heart. A heart that's boundlessly generous just gives people the benefit of the doubt. It cuts them slack. It, it, it says, okay, yeah, we're all struggling here together. And we show kindness and, and, and long-suffering toward one another. Here at Valley Church, we sometimes talk about trying and attempting and pursuing to be a triangulation-free zone. What that means is, okay, let's say that Bill and I my friend Bill and I have a, a, a disagreement. We're not seeing eye to eye on one another. So the best way for me to resolve this issue between Bill and I is to go straight to Charlie and talk about Bill, right? It's to go to Charlie. No, it's to go to Bill. Go to Bill and talk about this. Ray Ortland who was at our Good For All conference, and what an amazing job he did. But he said, instead of talking about other people and stirring up conflicts, he says, here's an alternative. If a person approaches you and starts criticizing someone else, you smile, interrupt, and say, time out. I don't want to be involved in all this. 
but the person you're talking about is right over there on the other side of the room. Let's you and I go right now and you tell this person to his face what you're telling me behind his back, okay? If we will have the courage to obey God at that moment of temptation, our churches will be safe places where people never have to wonder what is really going on and they can relax and enjoy themselves and grow in Christ. Our words have moral status at that level. That's powerful words from um, Ray Orland. So weigh your words. Are you stirring up conflict in your family, in the church, in the community, at the workplace? Or are you allowing love to help people to work together? Verse 13, wisdom is found on the lips of the discerning, but the rod is for the back of the one who lacks sense. So this is a contrast between words, speaking them or taking them in, words of wisdom or nonsense. Wisdom is found on the lips of the discerning. There are people who have discernment. They listen carefully. They think it through. They pray about it. They ponder the viewpoints. They meditate on the Word of God. They pray in the Holy Spirit. They patiently wait for the right moment. They calm their own emotions. And when they speak, there's wisdom. Not so, Mr. Nonsense. He has to vent and blurt out whatever comes to mind. He lacks sense. It's nonsense whenever he talks. He has no filter, Mr. Nonsense. Mr. Nonsense also has to be constantly corrected. In the Bible here we see is no nonsense about Mr. Nonsense. I, I read a story uh, about uh, this young guy. He was first day on the job. He was a new clerk in the green, uh, the, 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 the produce section of the supermarket. And a woman came up to him and asked, if she could, she wanted to buy a half a head of lettuce. He tried to dissuade her, but she persisted. Finally, he said, oh, I'll have to go back and talk to my manager. So he went to the back of the store to talk to the manager, not noticing that the woman was following him, rocking right behind him. When he got into the back of the store, he said to the manager, there's some stupid old woman who wants to buy a half a head of lettuce. What should I tell her? He saw the horrified look on the manager's face, realizing that the woman is standing right behind him. And so he turned and said, and this nice woman wants to buy the other half. Would that be all right? The manager said, um, yeah, that would be fine. Later in the day, he congratulated the young man on his quick thinking. He asked, where are you from, son? And the young man said, I'm from Toronto, Canada the home of beautiful hockey players and ugly women. And the manager looked at him and said, my, my wife is from Toronto. And he said, oh, what team did she play for? Stop, just stop talking, right? Nonsense. Weigh your words. Are you a bringer of wisdom? Careful, steady, considered, thought through wisdom, or it's just blurting, venting out, saying whatever first comes to your mind. Weigh your words. Verse 14. The wise store up knowledge, but the mouth of the fool hastens destruction. This contrasts thoughtful words or thoughtless words. So, have you ever had a hangnail? You know, you know what I'm talking about? It's just kind of there. I, I guess there are two ways to, to remove a hangnail. One, uh, you could take a you know little you know cuticle scissors like this or something and do that. And the other way is 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 with a, with a chainsaw. Okay, 
Which do you think is better? Okay, that's the contrast here. The wise store up knowledge. They're careful about it. The mouth of the fool just hastens destruction. Let me take care of that. To store up knowledge in, in this is not accumulating just more, uh, like just pouring in more trivia and learning more and more knowledge and knowledge and knowledge. It, it, it's more that sense is it means to take the time to learn something before speaking. It is, it is the opposite of jumping to conclusions and blurting out whatever comes to mind or the last thing you heard. But the mouth of the fool hastens destruction. Dude, he just blunders on forward, or she, with cutting remarks or insults or harsh words or just whatever. Rash, reckless, uncaring, sometimes, sometimes mean-spirited, not thinking of the consequences of what you're saying. How might this affect the situation, the relationship? How might this affect the family? In America, and this is tragic, we actually have students taking their own lives rather than facing the destructive, bewildering, incessant humiliation and bullying they face. Enough. That's wrong, so wrong. And if you are struggling if, with any of that, please tell someone now that you trust. And we're here for you. But it's enough of that kind of destructive, thoughtless speech. We need to have more thoughtful, civil, reasonable, meaningful conversations. What happened to us? And believers in Jesus need to lead the way. Lord, have mercy. Are you thoughtful? Or thoughtless. It's okay, by the way, to have spirited debate. Jesus challenged the Pharisees in no uncertain terms. But just flinging insults, spewing stuff out, hatred is, is not the way of Jesus at all. And let me just clarify. You know, our kids are all grown now, and they're amazing followers of Jesus. And I, I learned in my own family of origin um, a concept and I'm grateful for it. it. It was called freedom of speech. Um, in, our fa in my family of origin, and I attempted by God's grace to have it be a part of uh, uh, raising our three kids, imperfectly, I made lots of mistakes, but we tried, and I certainly experienced in the home that I grew up in, you were allowed to speak your mind. You could even disagree, but you could not disrespect. And you, we learned, as a child, I learned over time how to share my views and share my thoughts, hopefully without disrespecting the person there. And we try to raise our kids that way too. And there's something healthy about being able to have honest conversation without attacking each other, without getting defensive. It is a skill that takes a long time to develop Lord knows, I'm still a long way from it. But I want to be more thoughtful and not thoughtless. Weigh your words. Verse 18, the one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever spreads slander is a fool. This is not a contrast. It's just two bad types of words, either spoken or taken in, um, in the same verse. So it's about basically being two-faced, and bad mouth, or bad mouth, either one. Um, 
The first one, the one who conceals hatred, has lying lips. This is the person who says to your face, flatters you, tells you you're wonderful, tells you you're great, and then behind your back is cutting you down and stabbing you in the back. They're hypocrites. They'll butter you up to your face and then cut you to shreds behind your back. That's the one who conceals hatred, has lying lips. Don't be that. And whoever splits slander is a fool. Um, Proverbs in another place says that these, these bits of gossip are like juicy morsels or tasty, juicy tidbits that we take in. And they go down into our inmost being. So when you take in rumors and slanders and gossip, it affects you as an individual, as a person, as a follower of Jesus. And the truth is, apart from the Holy Spirit of God, we love gossip. We love controversy. We love rumors. We like negative information about people. We're just drawn to it as human beings. It's not a good thing. Fueling of controversy, sharing half-truths, these are all lamentable and wrong. But what's really unnerving, honestly, and heartbreaking is to see sometimes believers in Jesus sharing in their conversation on social media unsubstantiated rumors and speculation. Here's, here's a hopefully a Bible-inspired tip for the day. Check your sources before you pass on the next outrageous story or factoid. Because when you slander, spread slander, take it in and then pass it along, slander or innuendo or gossip or rumor, you are a fool. And that is not a compliment <laughs> in the Bible. There's a good Bible word called sanctification. It's a process by which we, sanctification is where God sanctifies us. He makes us more and more like Jesus. It is really spiritual growth to becoming more and more like Jesus day by day. And guys, honestly, and I say this with respect and love, but for some of us, maybe you, the greatest thing that you could do for your own sanctification is to get off social media for a while. Take a break maybe forever. Some folks would grow spiritually exponentially if they would get off the sites or quit watching your favorite news channel. If you can handle it, fantastic and great. But if you're not handling it well, and it's just you're becoming this person that Proverbs is talking about, take a break. Um, don't be a fool. Don't be a part of that. Charles Spurgeon was an incredible uh, preacher from in London 150 years ago. And um, one time somebody mailed him a, a letter, and uh, it just had one word on the letter. It just had nothing except this, fool. Charles Spurgeon showed the letter in his next message, his next sermon, and he said, you know, I have received many letters where people wrote the letter and forgot to sign their name. But this is the first time that they signed their name and forgot to write the letter. I love it. Don't be that person. All right? Verse 19, where, when there are many words, sin is unavoidable. 
but the one who controls his lip is prudent. This is the contrast between more words or less words. And in scripture, most of the time, less is more because here's how it works. It's very simple, okay? We're gonna do a, a little chart here. All right, you hanging with me here? All right, here we go. So this is, this is sin and this is number of words, all right? Number of words. And what scripture says here is that here's the, here's the, uh, here's the trajectory of this. <laughs> then the greater the number of words, the more likelihood there is for sin. The longer the conversation goes, especially when it's about other people, the more likely it is to degenerate into a bad place. In your family conversations, this scripture is great. Where, many, where there are many words, sin is unavoidable. Less is more. Zip it. <laughs> say less. Don't say the next comment. Just hold it. In conversations with people that may be having, wanting to get into an argument with you, maybe members of your family, maybe at workplace, here's, this is an amazing thing I learned from this verse. The one who controls his lips is prudent. When somebody puts that thing out to you, you don't have to take the bait. In fact, I'm going to say, don't take the bait. You don't need to respond to every comment. You can just listen. You could even try to understand it a little bit better or ask a follow-up question or something. You don't have to respond in kind. You don't have to go there. If they get amped up, you don't have to get amped up. The one who controls his lips is prudent. You're a smart person when you do that. You're just being wise. Now it takes the Holy Spirit of God to do that. You say, some people say, do I need the Holy Spirit to go to heaven? Bro, you need the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart. But scripture says, control it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Another Proverbs 17 says, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. Or this has been attributed to Abraham Lincoln, kind of a paraphrase of that verse. Better to be silent and thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Most of the time, less is more. Most of the time. Last couple of verses here. The tongue of the wise of the righteous is pure silver. The heart of the wicked is of little value. This is the contrast between valuable words that we speak or take in or read or worthless words that we take in, read, scroll. Honestly, if you put a dollar value on the conversations that I'm having, the words I'm sharing, the words I'm reading, what are they really worth? Am I bringing pure silver into the conversation? Am I taking in pure silver in the words I take in? By the way, pure silver is silver that is refined by the fire of God's word. That, that dross, the impurities, the, 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 the bad motivations, they're taken out. They're refined by the Holy Spirit of God. That's pure silver. So my question for me and for you is, am I sharing pure silver? Am I taking in pure silver? Or 
am I just sharing my two cents worth? And that's about what it's worth, two cents. Do I have to share my two cents worth on everything? Sometimes, nope. Just weigh it out. Is this valuable enough to be said? Is this good enough to take into my life? Or do I just need to say, nope, put a lid on it. I'm not going to hear it anymore. I'm not going to read it anymore. I'm not going to say it anymore. Pure silver or my two cents worth? Weigh your words. And verse 21, the lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. Here we come down to the contrast of nourishing words or toxic words. And remember, this isn't just words you speak or communicate yourself. It's words that you take in. The lips of the righteous feed many. I want you to, for a moment to imagine your life, my life, your life, and your words just like feeding people. It's like they're starving. They're starving for encouragement. They, they need wisdom. They need kindness. They're starving for respect. They're starving for love. They're starving for goodness. They're starving for truth. And you can be like the food bank. You can be like the grocery store. You can be like a restaurant. You can give people something nourishing, replenishing, satisfying, and fulfilling. That can be you. You can feed people. The lips of the righteous feed many. You can be this positive, amazing force for good with the words that you speak. Or you can speak and listen to nonsense, toxic things. And guess what? You'll starve and the people around you will starve and ultimately die. People need to hear the good news. They need to hear about Jesus, our Lord, who loves them, who so desperately loves them, who's so crazy about them that he went to a cross to die on the cross for their sins. He said he's the bread of life. If you come to me, you'll never grow hungry. That's what we need to feed them, Jesus. Can we feed people, the people around us, your family, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, our community, everything that you post online? Can you feed people with Jesus, his love, his truth, his goodness, his mercy, his forgiveness, his gospel? They died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again that died so that they could be forgiven and have a brand new life. They died for them and was raised again so they could experience the promise of everlasting life and hope in this life and beyond. That's what people need in this world. I want to be somebody who feeds people, feeds many, nourishing, wholesome, good food. Weigh your words. Okay. Last thing. See this? Look at it, okay? What is this? This is a cup of, okay, you ready? Let me ask you a question. Why is there water all over the floor? Duh, because you just poured water on the floor. No, no, no. Why is there water on the floor? 
instead of Pepsi or Mountain Dew or iced tea or Kool-Aid. Because water was what was inside. What comes out comes from within. Jesus said this, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And then he says this zinger, what you say flows from what's in your heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Jesus knew how to bring it, didn't he? And so did Solomon. And these words are, are a challenging word to us, but they're also so encouraging. I could be this life-giving, incredible feeding presence to my kids, to my friends, to my neighbors, to my coworkers. I could be that. How can I be that? He told us, the one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, as Solomon taught us, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. I need Jesus. I need more of his Holy Spirit. Can we just pray for that? Father, thank you for this words, these words from Solomon and words from Jesus. Um, Lord, we can't do this. <laughs> you're, 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 uh, you inspired James to write, no one can tame the tongue. We can't do it. We're powerless against our own selves and the world, the flesh, the devil. We, we can't do it. But we can do it through Jesus. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you just said, ask, seek, and knock, and I'll give you. And so we're coming to you right now and just say, we, we need more of you, Lord Jesus. More of you to cleanse us, to renew us, to fill us with your Holy Spirit again so that we can turn from anything that's destructive or wrong or deceitful or um, tearing down people to become the kind of people that we really want to be deep down. And that is to be life givers, to be people who spread love and goodness and truth and hope. So please, Lord Jesus, we can't do that on our own. We need your Holy Spirit to fill us afresh today. Would you just fill us afresh? We, we, we confess freely, we, we, we've fallen short. Would you just fill us afresh today and, and send us from this moment out, not looking back to regrets or mistakes. We can learn from those, but Lord, looking forward that we could be the feeders of many people. We could be a fountain of life to the people around us and help us look forward to the future. This we ask in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody agreed and said, Amen. God bless you all, and thanks so much for joining us.